have an important question as we get started this morning. How many of you in the room are real Christmas tree people? Real Christmas tree people. Raise your hand proud. Raise your hand proud. All right. How many of you are artificial Christmas tree people? All the real Christmas people just judged you. They totally judged you, all right? They're, oh, those people, all right? All right, I, I've been both in life, all right? I grew up, and my dad, would, we, would t- we would go to the Christmas tree lot in Charlotte, and then as we got a little bit older, and then as we had children, for many years, we would, the day after Christmas, we'd jump in the car, and we'd head to Sparta, and we would cut down our tree, we'd bring it home, it was always too big, or too tall, or too wide, right? And we'd get it home, we'd put it in the house, and we'd decorate it, but I remember growing up as a kid. I remember us going to the Christmas tree lot and bringing that thing home, and my mom would always fuss at us because it was way too wide every time we brought it home. I don't know why. We always measured the height, but not the width, right? And so we would bring it home, and we would decorate it, and we'd get all the lights put on it. And my dad was a little crazy about the lights. We had thousands of lights, it seemed like. It was truly, truly a fire hazard in the middle of our living room. We'd have all the lights on it, and I remember after it was finally decorated, I would lay down on the floor, and as a kid, I can remember squinting my eyes. Anybody else do that? All three of you. <laughs> Go home and try it tonight, okay? It makes the tree just look magical to me. Uh, and, and so I would look at the tree, and I remember those moments looking at the tree, thinking, wow, it's beautiful. It's just, oh, there it is. We've been waiting all year for this time to come back around. Now we have an artificial tree, right, due to allergies. Aren't they great? And so we go up in the attic. It's, it's, it's nowhere near as fun of a process. We cut the tape on the box. It almost hops out of there because it's crammed in there. We, we grab the thing. I shove part through the attic. One of, the son, one of my boys grabs one end. The other one grabs the other. We take it in. We drop it in the stand. We plug it in. Lights are on. There it is. It's done. Doesn't smell right, doesn't look the same, but it doesn't give us allergy problems, all right? And so we have this tree, but still, if you just take a moment and you kind of glance at it, you go, wow, this is beautiful. There's so many things during the Christmas season that bring that sense of awe and wonder to our mind. So many of us have memories. Some of them are really great memories. Some of them are tough memories that the Christmas season brings to you. What I want us to, to do over the next three weeks Today, the 17th and Christmas Eve, I I want us to take a few weeks and just examine the story of the birth of Christ. Now, I know you go, well, that's what you're supposed to be. You're a preacher. It's December. You're supposed to examine the birth of Christ. But I want, my hope and my prayer is that just as you have some of those traditions that bring that awe and wonder, I want you to place all the awe and wonder that is deserved of the story of birth of Christ. Because understand this, sandwiched in the middle of your parties and your family get-togethers and your shopping, of which we have done none, anybody else in the room terrified? Of which we've done none, all right? Shopping and your gatherings and your things that you must do, your baking and your cooking, all those things sandwiched in there is Jesus. Sandwiched in there are those few moments where you'll come to Christmas Eve service or you'll see something that'll remind you but I want us, these, these three Sundays, for us to not be able to leave this place without seeing a nativity, without singing a Christmas carol, where we do not return to the awe and wonder of the story of the birth of Christ. 
So this morning, we're going to look at several passages of Scripture. If you want to turn with me, you can. The first one we're going to be is in Luke chapter 2. It wasn't listed this morning. Um, The rest of them we'll walk through this morning. But this is a familiar passage to most of us. Luke chapter 2 says this, verse 1, and I'm going to go through verse 7. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. It's a familiar story for us, is it not? It's a story you'll see on Christmas cards. It's a story you'll hear sung. Even music that will be played with these lyrics playing in places that don't declare Christmas. This will be declared. And you'll see these things. Last week we were in New York with a mission team. I saw pictures of this and thoughts of this depicted on storefronts. Songs being sung about the birth of Christ. And my fear is just how now I pull the tree and I put it up and I plug it up and I go, there's a tree. Likewise, we come to the story of Christmas at this season. We read the story of the birth of Christ. We put out our manger scenes and we go, it's Christmas. We need to see and respect the awe and wonder that are in this passage. That that brought us to this point of history. All that took place, the unexpected Jesus that appears here. Unexpected, but honestly very expected. Unexpected, you look in Matthew and Luke, you look at the family trees of Jesus, totally unexpected. Men, women, Jews, Gentiles, prostitutes, adulterers, all included. Unexpected? Not really. Completely prophesied, completely promised for us. A virgin birth, which we're going to examine as best we can with our audience in the room this morning, all right? A wise man, a teenager giving birth to a Messiah, unexpected. To us, maybe, if we were to glance at Luke chapter 2 or Matthew chapter 1, but not unexpected to Scripture, If you read the first five chapters of Matthew, the first three chapters of Luke, you you would look at those things and say, wow, through those two lenses we see the family tree, we see the birth, we see the temptation, we see Jesus' earthly ministry beginning, we see all these things taking place. And what I want you to see this morning, and some of you already know this, but I want to remind you, all of what we are going to see in Matthew and Luke were prophesied hundreds of years before. So the first thing that I want us to see this morning that was expected, not unexpected. The first thing that I want us to see this morning foretold in Old Testament, shown up again for us in Matthew and Luke, is expected. The the birth, born Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, foretold by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a son. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, if you were living in the days of Isaiah, 700 years prior to the birth of Jesus, 
700 years prior to the birth of Jesus, no doubt Isaiah was talking about somebody in his historical time period, but the ultimate fulfillment of this came through Jesus Christ. This sign that he's pointing forward to is prophetic. It's telling us of something that is ahead of us. The ultimate fulfillment is Jesus Christ, God with us. So you've got this prophecy made about this foretold Messiah being born of a virgin in Isaiah chapter 7, and then you turn the page into Matthew chapter 1, 700 years later, and it says this, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. If that doesn't leave you in awe and wonder, those of you who can comprehend that, it should. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son And you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All in wonder right here. Verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let the sense of awe and wonder rush over you if you would allow it to when you think about this moment prophesied 700 years before and here it comes true and Joseph is hearing these words and he says, listen, your betrothed Wife is going to give birth to a son, and his name is going to be Jesus. It means Emmanuel, God with us. And in case you didn't forget, Joseph, as a good Jewish man, let me remind you of a prophecy from 700 years ago. I guarantee you Joseph was in awe and wonder. But see, we see Joseph, and he's in a nice little nativity set. And he's always dressed kind of really nice for some reason. And he's got this little robe on, and he's overlooking, and everything looks tranquil. This is not a tranquil moment for Joseph. This is an awe and wonder that the God of the universe was sending forth his only son into this world to save his people from their sins. Scripture tells us Jesus was not born in this world. He came down from heaven into the world. He was sent by the Father. The the book of John in chapter 3 and chapter 6 fulfill this for us. The book of Colossians tells us that he was before all things and in all things. So this is not a surprise to Scripture. This is one glimpse of something that we would say, that's kind of unexpected. A virgin birth, it's pretty unexpected. But it was totally expected. We also see there's another unexpected moment that happens. The Savior of the world would be born in the sleepy sideline town of Bethlehem. Now again, we read through the songs we sang in the second service, O Little Town of Bethlehem, and we just kind of keep on singing it. This was a sideline town. Nothing good or monumental came from Bethlehem. How many of you have ever driven to Myrtle Beach and you've driven through Ellerby? 
You know what I'm talking about? See, I had to choose a town that's not from around here because undoubtedly somebody's going to claim it if I say Denton or Silver Valley, all right? Ellerby. You drive through, and then there's a sign. There's on one sign, welcome to Ellerby on both sides, right? That's it. Bethlehem. It's a town that, as the prophet Micah foretold, 600 years before this moment, the book of Micah, a prophetic book as well, foretelling things of the future, as well as in the historical context, he's talking about the sins of Israel. And in the middle of that, in, in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, he says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, translation, you're not anything. If you're not a clan of Judah, you're out. He says, Oh, you, Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, for from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Something's big's coming to you, Bethlehem. Something that you cannot expect is coming to you, Bethlehem. So 600 years later, just as we saw the virgin birth foretold and come true through the Gospel of Luke, we also see in Matthew, here we see the the prophetic words from Micah in chapter 5, verse 2. But then we read this in Matthew chapter 2. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east, there's another unexpected guest company, came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Now let me pause there to describe Herod to you. He was a maniacal tyrant. When it reads that Herod was troubled, don't think um, he was a little confused or He wasn't real sure what was going on. When Herod got troubled, it meant people died. If you tried to step in the way of Herod into his leadership or into his authority, then he just got rid of you. And so here these wise men come, and they come into Jerusalem, and they come to Herod, the king of the ruling region, ruler of this region. They come to him and say, hey, can you tell us where the king of the Jews is? Not the guy you want to ask this question to. So here's what he does. He goes to the religious leaders the Jewish religious leaders, he brings them together, the chief priests and all authorities. And here's what Scripture says. He does. says in verse 3, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. He, he expects nobody to know the answer. Like, who's going to know this answer? Why would they know where he's going to be? I'll get everybody together. Maybe somebody knows. And listen to what they said. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet. Duh, Herod. We've known all along. And they quote what? Micah 5, 2. 600 years before They bring it forward, they quote it to Herod, and they say, Oh, you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. The birth of Jesus was expected the way that it took place. The delivery of how it took place. 
The person of who it took place through, the location of the birth of Jesus Christ was expected. And it should leave us in awe and wonder every time we come to this story. And when we look into the manger scenes, I love that around here there's different manger scenes depicted all throughout the building. I said last week we were in New York and I was in one of the shops. I can't remember, guys, which shop it was. Uh, right there near Times Square. You know, everything's biblical in Times Square, right? And so they had nativities, of course. I mean, you can sell anything in Times Square. The, and, it, and it had shepherds, angels. Um, I meant to take a picture. It had a, the manger scene, Mary, Joseph, wise men, angels. And one of them had this angelic little drummer boy. He didn't make it in Luke 2, just want you to know. Okay? He's not there. Sorry to spoil your favorite Christmas song if that is it. But all around we have these decorations in people's yards and some of them are depicted live and that's an incredible opportunity. But do they leave you in awe and wonder that a tyrannical king was seeking after a child? That chief priests knew prophecies from hundreds of years gone by about where it would happen, how it would happen, who would deliver, what her position would be in life. If you go on in scripture and read, it, it tells us as well, two-thirds Guys, just just pause. Two-thirds of what you have in Scripture is pointing you towards the moment in Luke 2. It is all pointing toward the need for a Savior to come into this world. And myself, being the chief among those, walk past the manger scene and just see and keep on going. And in that manger, born of a virgin, in a town of Bethlehem, from the seed of Abraham, His death, His crucifixion, His resurrection are all promised in the past. If you want some interesting reading this afternoon, take a glance at Psalm chapter 22. If you're skeptical of who Jesus is and His life and His death and resurrection, read Psalm 22 and how the death of Jesus would take place and compare it to the Gospels. The nations called Him blessed in the Old Testament. The people declared Him blessed, promised As the wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace. Isaiah chapter 9, the prophet says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and his name shall be called, uh, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is going to happen. This Messiah is going to happen. It's going to take place. And again, another New Testament reference. 700 years later, it says, And behold, the words to Mary, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. The unexpected is really expected. It should leave us in awe and wonder of the promises that have come true. Listen, Christmas is a big season for movies right uh, a couple weeks ago went with a couple folks to go see a movie and 
the previews came on, and we were, we were already emptying out our large bucket of popcorn. So, um, I mean, you can't go to the movies without popcorn. You can't sneak that one in, all right? And so I had a large bucket of popcorn. We had almost emptied it out. So I said, man, let, I'm going to go back out. Previews are going. I go out. I get some popcorn. I go to my car. I go out for dinner. I go get oil changed in my car, drive back to Starbucks, get a cup of coffee, walk back in the movie. Previews are still going, okay? <laughs> a little exaggeration there, but you know what I'm talking about. There's 14 previews going on. And here's what they do. The preview is designed to get you hooked to come back for the rest of the story. The problem is, 99% of the time, most of what you see in the preview is all the good parts. And you go back and you say, man, the trailer was so good. The preview was so good. It, it just, man, I, I can't believe that that's this movie. And I'm going to tell you why. Because they are an imagined script about an imagined hero that cannot live up to the hype. But when we come to Scripture, you come to the Old Testament, it's a trailer and a preview, and it's pointing forward, and it's pointing forward and saying, look at this, this is Jesus. Hey, here's how he's going to come. Here's where he's going to come. Here's what he's going to do. Here's how he's going to die. He's how, here's how he's going to be resurrected. And when we turn the page into the New Testament, it does not disappoint us. Because the trailer leads to something greater than we could ever, ever imagine. It comes to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. And if we can regain some awe and wonder, we might just become crazy enough to tell other people about it. If we can regain a sense of awe and wonder that in that manger laid for us a Messiah who is Christ the Lord then we could proclaim with confidence the last verse that they sang of the first song this morning. Then let us all with one accord sing praises to our heavenly Lord that hath made heaven and earth of naught and with his blood mankind has bought. Jesus Christ, the Savior, has paid for the sins of mankind. We need to return to a sense of awe and wonder of Jesus. So why have awe and wonder? What, what does this mean for you on a daily basis? And here's where I land for this. If the promises about Jesus coming have been fulfilled, then I have great confidence that the promise that he's going to return are going to be fulfilled. So if I'm confident in the pages that have told me about his coming and they have come true, then I'm also equally able to rest that the promises of Jesus coming and conquering are equally true. And this guides us and it leads us. Jesus says, I've declared, he declares, I'm preparing a place for you. Scripture also tells us that he's promised home through Jesus Christ. Revelation 21.4. Listen to this. The promises of Old Testament come true. The promises of the future are given to us. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither there shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. That gives me hope. That gives me peace. That gives me confidence 
because of what's been foretold and come true, I lean into these promises likewise from it from Scripture that say, listen, I've already come and done the things I promised, but listen, I'm not finished. I'm going to conquer and I'm going to return. And when I return, I'm going to prepare a place for you. There's no weeping. There's no crying. There's no mourning for pain. They have passed away. I will make all things new. In 1 Peter chapter 1, we see these words, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen, church, we like the fulfillment promises, I hope. I hope you see where it comes true. But now listen to this. Now there's a promise made to us that Christ is there and He's preparing us for an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. I got no amens on that. Come on. I got you, I got you charged up about the awe and, awe and wonder of the nativity. But now listen to the promises of heaven that are waiting for you. Imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. I know what's going on in some of your lives. And you should be rejoicing over this promise. You should find hope in this promise, he says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, he says, you rejoice. In this you rejoice. Now, now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. You see, the promise of the fulfillment of Christ leaves us in awe and wonder, and the promises of our eternity equally, if not more so, does the same. You have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, if you're going through trials and difficulty in this world, if we were honest, everybody in this room would raise our hands. Somebody, everybody in this room is going through some difficulty, some trial, some difficulty, and praise God, we're able to look back in Scripture, see the promises come true, from the Old Testament to the birth of Christ, and then see the conquering and the return of Christ come true for us. All that in the mix for us to rejoice that it is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and it is kept in heaven for you by God's power. We need to return to awe and wonder because these promises give us hope. These promises give you joy. These promises give you peace by God's mercy. The prophecies have been fulfilled. Christ has come and our future is in Him. May we be in awe of a Savior. The promises of Christ and His life and His death and His resurrection have been verified. May, be, may we be in wonder of our Savior. Our future is secure. May we return to the wonder of the birth of Christ. And over these next few weeks, when we pass a nativity, when we hear a Christmas song. Last night we had our first presentation of Here With Us, The Living Christmas Tree. Um, that's so difficult to describe to folks, all right, unless you see it. There's people in a tree, right? It's just, you have to come see it. Three o'clock, seven o'clock today. And uh, not many people braved the tumultuous 
not really roads last night. Um, and so I, I had this seat all by myself, and they started to sing Oh Holy Night. And I know what I'm preaching on today. And in my mind, I'm thinking through it. And I start listening to the words of Oh Holy Night and just letting it sink in for a minute, asking of myself, do you have awe and wonder of the birth, of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus? And I can say that as I was listening, God just returned to wonder. It's amazing foretelling that's taken place, but it's an amazing future. And may we slow down long enough. So here's my ask of you this morning. Slow down. That's probably the most ludicrous request I've ever asked of a congregation, right? Slow down long enough when you pass a nativity to examine the Savior. Slow down long enough when you sing a carol to pause in the middle of a verse and let everyone else keep singing and you focus on the words. Pause long enough in the middle of shrapnel of presents and wrapping going up on Christmas Day to stop and realize that the greatest present is not under your tree. It is a Savior, Christ, who has been born to save His people from their sins. Slow down, and may Christmas this year bring one thing into focus which matters the most, Jesus Christ. We've sung about him. Man, this songs could not have been more perfect this morning for us, even so come. That's a promise about his future returning for us. Even so come, Lord Jesus, come. In awe and wonder, may we rest in you. I also realize that a message like this morning some of you in this room have doubts of who Jesus Christ is. And I want to challenge you this morning to not just take my word for it, but take these scriptures that are listed in the worship guide. Dig into those. Look at the prophecies. Look at the history. See these things and see the validity of the birth of Jesus Christ. And ask for God to forgive you of your sins. And scripture tells us he will save us. Let's pray this morning.